0: Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, I speak with Alex Corgier, perinatal and infant mental health lead at the charity Home Start. Alex and I speak about parenthood, the challenges that parents face, both in terms of working through a pandemic with children, and also generally, and at times where life stresses are making being a parent all the more challenging. Those of us who, as parents um, ourselves, will understand this But also I think everybody will understand this to a certain degree. And uh, Alex and I also speak about the work that she is doing and what it can teach us about how to interact with adults. Perhaps our partners, colleagues and friends too. I really enjoyed speaking with Alex and I'm sure you will enjoy the conversation. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by our platinum partner, our platinum sponsor I should say, work for good a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome, sustainable source of income. So without further ado, here is Alex Corgier speaking with me about what childcare can teach us. I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Corgier, Perinatal and Infant Mental Health Lead at Home Start. Alex, welcome to Charity Chat.
1: Thank you. I'm very pleased to be here.
0: So maybe if you can start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, what's your background, what's led you to become a Perinatal and Infant Mental Health Lead and what what does that role entail?
1: Right. So um, uh, my, my current role as lead uh, perinatal infant mental health um, is at Home Start UK is relatively new. I only started in November. But uh, prior to that, I've been a manager of a, a local Home Start in Gloucestershire for, for many, many years. Um, I started out as a coordinator with home start training volunteers to go into families homes and support families in the home gosh about 18 years ago um and I'm I'm as passionate about the role that we have in supporting families now as much as I as, as much as I was then so mm. um I've had many years kind of on the front line and I'm, I'm particularly particularly passionate about early intervention so really supporting families at the earliest opportunity really from pregnancy and into the sort of first three years of of a child's life because I feel that that's the time that um, voluntary community sector organisations can can make a huge difference and an impact on on families sure yeah, so I, I moved, um, I took on the perinatal infant mental health lead with Home Start UK, uh, possibly because I felt it was time for for a new challenge. Um, but also because I've learned so much over the years around this topic and, and I just feel more and more Enthralled really by it, and science is is you know every every month we're learning more and more new things about um, early development, particularly Mm. brain architecture in in babies, and how those early connections are so central to creating sort of healthy, happy people for the Mm. future. And in my new role, I'm hope I'm hoping that there there are around 180 home starts across the whole of the UK supporting you know, around about 10,000 families at, at, at one time. So I'm just hoping that in my new role, I can just really develop our, our expertise and understanding in how we can best support families, really, and, and give everyone the best start in life.
0: And so is the, is the basis of your work largely around kind of social interaction between children and their parents and wider support networks? Is that a way of looking at it?
1: Yes, well, certainly with Homestar, it, it is about supporting, you know, volunteers and the, the group work that happens uh, across the network is is very much about supporting early relationships. Mm. Um, you know that that's the that's the frontline work that we do, uh, normalising the difficulties of parenting. Um, and you know, I think sometimes when you're a, a new parent, and particularly if you haven't got a lot of sort of family around you and and a, a good network. You can sort of feel like you're the only person that's struggling with becoming a new parent. Mm -hmm. A lot of the work, you know, that includes our our sort of social media and all those kind of things, are very much around it. It's okay to not be okay. It's actually okay to find this really hard, because you know, from a personal point of view, you know, I've I've done many challenging things in my life, but I have to say that becoming a parent's been the, you know, was the most difficult thing that I ever did. You know, absolutely hand on heart. So it's it's normalizing that and then and then providing um, ways and toolkits and information that that can help, you know, that can help parents in their parenting journey. Maybe get them to understand a little bit about, you know, the early communication of babies to understand that actually sleep deprivation is is really tough. And actually you will feel not 100 percent and not at your, you know, your full best um, Mm. when you've, you know, when you've had sleepless nights. So it's um, that's the kind of holistic look. And, and and again, you know, I think the voluntary community sector and, and HomeStart is a great example that peer support and parent-to-parent support can really can really support parents that, that, you know, are really struggling. I mean, look at the last two years. I mean, it's it's just been so tough, hasn't it? Yeah. So, you know, certainly in terms of isolation, we've, you know, we've come across that so much more. It's not rocket science that in a lockdown... Mm. Um, you're going to feel even more isolated and and not not being able to see family and friends and many of the services like you know health visiting and midwifery was cut down a huge amount you know people Mm. were only having those services virtually really really tough to what is what is normally an incredibly difficult job.
0: Would you say that your lived experience of becoming a parent yourself, did, had, had that led to any kind of change in your career trajectory? Has that influenced you becoming, uh, taking on this role, do you think?
1: Yes, I mean, definitely. Before, um, I mean, my, my youngest is now 21 years old, but prior to that, I was in management. So I was managing at the um, the Tavistock Clinic in London, the Child mm. and Family Department. And... Um, it was an amazing job and opportunity and I, I did a lot of training around infant mental health, but I hadn't become a parent at that point. Mm. Um and when I when I had my my first child or children, because in fact I had twins, I, I decided to take a career break. I, I I wanted to 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 not you know go back to work for, for a year or two and, and I was in a um I was lucky enough to be able, you know, to to make that decision. And then becoming a parent, you know, it's it's so different to everything that you learn. You can't, you know, it's like a lot of things in life. Until it happens to you, you can't really, you can have a sense of it, but you can't really understand that the impact it's going to have on you. And actually, I suffered um, quite badly from postnatal depression with my mm. twins. I was very isolated. My family were all abroad. Uh, my partner was working very long hours. And, and I really, really struggled for, for, for quite a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't really ask for help. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't do all those things that I've now spent 20 years trying to get other people to do. So yes, absolutely. My, my lived experience has, has definitely affected, you know, how passionate I feel about this and, and how much work I've, I've done in this area. And, and yeah, you know, I, I know what it feels like to, to be very vulnerable in those um, in those difficult in, you know, what can be very, very dark times. And, and much as you adore and love your children, you also sometimes working, you know, with with some of the um, issues going on, you know, for yourself personally. Mm. Um, and it's tough. And and we really need as a society to, to open up that discussion about it's okay, it's okay to ask for help, you know, it's not a sign of weakness, actually, it's an incredibly, it's its quite the opposite, isn't it, in a way? It, Absolutely, it's, it takes so a lot of courage. Actually, do you know what? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I suppose not all of our listeners are parents, but I'm sure everyone has seen or witnessed the Stresses that children and their parents sometimes go through, um, or can remember their own childhood and and the stresses there. What work do you then do? You've talked about a little bit, but could you talk a little bit more about the the work that you're doing with parents and, and children to lead less stressful lives?
1: I suppose it's a bit like everything in 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 life. Um, it, it's just giving people gentle advice, gentle toolkits sometimes knowledge can can make a huge difference to our understanding of, of something that we're living through you know whatever that that might be good or bad so education i you know i think is very important but it's it's educating people in a way that is holistic enough that it takes in everyone's personal circumstances yeah in my work um with Homestar in gloucestershire you know we worked with or worked with so many families going through huge amounts of struggles from from poverty poor housing mm. abusive relationships children born with a disability that you know that there's so much that you know ev- everyone is so individual and, and and every child is individual so it's it's providing it's prov- pr- providing things in a way that you hope that a larger audience can go, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That will be helpful. It's, I think it's bringing in hope and joy as well, too, um, into families' lives. Um, again, in, in, a, in a gentle way. And, and you can give a very light touch on, on a subject. So, for instance, a baby's or a, a toddler's temper tantrums. Yeah. You know, even if you haven't been a parent, you must have walked through a supermarket and observed yeah. <laughs> a two year old deciding in the fruit aisle that they're going to have a have a meltdown. And, and of course, that can be in, in, incredibly stressful as a parent. And I, I can't imagine there's anybody out there that's had a child that hasn't had, you know, a toddler tantrum at, 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 at some place in time where they wanted to just, you know
0: it's, it's, it's stressful floor. it's embarrassing isn't it you kind of you feel i think certainly when, uh, when my son he's uh, three and a half now but i think his his temper tantrums he didn't really have terrible twos he's kind of had terrible threes really but uh I, it's, a, it's a horrible thing and i suppose i've um I, I wouldn't consider myself normally a judgmental person but i'll hold my hands up and say i have seen parents with children before i became a parent and the child's acting up, and I thought, "What's wrong with that parent? Why can't they just sort their child out?" And now, having become a parent myself a few years ago, I look at those situations very differently, and, and almost kind of, you know, nod and say, "Hope you know, hope they're okay." Those poor parents, because I've gone through it myself on a weekly or maybe monthly basis. You know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's it's very frustrating, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's a really great example of, of, you know, sort of pre and pre becoming a parent and and post becoming a parent. But it's also, I think, you know, alongside that, it's 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 supporting parents to understand what, you know, what a temper tantrum is and and what your three and a half year old when he when he decides that, you know, he's going to have a meltdown. I mean, what does that mean? What's he trying to say? Mm. And and there isn't one easy answer, but, you know, there is, you know, there is some information that I think can help parents, you know, for instance, is it, is it a, a temper tantrum that actually that little child is actually desperately wanting that banana that you've denied them and, and they know that actually, if they make enough noise about it, you know, five times out of 10, that the parent may give in and give it to them. Yeah or is it much bigger than that have they just had a very tiring day you know mm. is it it's just does the world just feel a little bit too much and and it, it is a sort of natural meltdown if you like of a child so you know as a parent all we can do is is say gosh you know I can see that you're feeling quite upset or you're feeling quite angry that I'm not giving you that banana um But that's okay. And when we get home, you know, after we've had tea, then possibly I'll give you that banana. So it's 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 little things like that. It's not rocket science.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think some parents, particularly if they've got a lot of other stress factors going on in their life, actually, even just that very gentle interaction and and almost holding that child through the Mm. I I don't mean physically holding, although it could be physically, I mean, just even sort of mentally. Mm can make a huge difference and actually not make it seem just this sort of awful out of control thing that, that the child is doing, you know, why is the child doing that? And you'll, you can usually work it out. If you, you know, if you sit down and and, and think about it.
0: And I, I guess a lot of our listeners might have children, maybe have been working from home, for example, the last couple of years with the pandemic hitting. And then of course there have been those really difficult times where, Children have been kind of locked at home with the parents, haven't they, because of lockdowns and things like that. And I I can only imagine because we've been quite fortunate, really, what you, you were talking about earlier around the kind of support network. We're very fortunate. We've got a good support network here. But even so, there have been days where, you know, we've been with our son trying to do full-time jobs. It's been very stressful when children are going to kind of meltdowns or, you know, kind of throwing tantrums. There's one way of looking at those things almost as a kind of a learning opportunity for for the child, because I guess we don't, part of our role as parents is to bring up these well-adjusted children that become adults to become good citizens. And I suppose that's kind of a way of looking at it. Is it that this is talking, as you were saying, talking about the emotions rather than meeting emotion with emotion?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And gosh, I mean, it has just been so hard, hasn't it, for for, for both parents and children? Um, so just yeah, very stressful and difficult. And you know, there's no perfect parent, and and we will all have got it wrong and and sometimes not had the patience, and what and what have you. But yes, absolutely, it is about teaching our children to understand frustration and and what that feels like and and that's not actually a very nice thing it's about communication isn't it it's Mm. about connections and and people always say don't you if if you want if you want your teenagers to to talk to you start talking to them when they're when they're babies because if you build up that that ability to communicate and for a Mm. child to learn that actually you can talk through a frustration or a difficulty or a wonderful joy you know the fact that they finally made you know that Lego man that they've been trying to to make for months It, it, it is if if you can really those, those connections as a foundation hmm. in a child, you're, you're building up for them the ability later on to, to, to be able to communicate their feelings, which we know is, you know, hugely important. It builds resilience in them because they're beginning to understand. OK, no, I don't really like that, but I understand why. Um um being able to um understand their feelings. I I feel I feel very angry. It's okay to feel angry. All human beings feel angry at some point. It's not a, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not a naughty thing, but it's it's knowing what to do with it really. Mm. So so yeah, I think I think I think those early, early um conversations that you have with your baby, although they're not verbal, it's not words, but actually it's connection that you're that you're creating and if you can do that not perfectly you're not going to get it right every time but if if you work on those foundations then you're building that foundation of of communication and and healthy development I Mm. think in in children and 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 I I might just add that's not to say that teenagers won't stop talking quite as much but you'll have more chance I, I think it's also about not, as as human beings, not beating ourselves up that, you know, we're not always doing things as well as we think that we should. Because no one, you know, there, there is no perfect parent. We can't, there's no perfect person. We we can't always get it right. And I think that's really important because otherwise you're just putting more stress on yourself, aren't you? And 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 certainly having worked with so many people that, that had school-aged children at home during the pandemic, I think everyone's done just amazingly, really, because very tiring, very tiring to, you know, be trying to do your work mm-hmm. um, and also supporting your children in, in a situation that they must have found incredibly difficult and strange and and, and not really fully, under, you know, understanding either.
0: I guess they've got in you know my my son's case certainly he's got less of a reference point than I do kind of pre-pandemic because he's lived most of his life now through a pandemic which is bizarre really and and certainly his behavior taking him out on walks he's he got into the habit of if there were people walking towards us he would be pretty much standing in the undergrowth to let them pass with a gap you know he kind of learned that which is quite sad isn't it you know that, that that's kind of the world we're currently living in but I, I guess it was, you know, listening to kind of you talking about that made me think around the, um, I suppose one thing, you know, becoming a parent. I've learned more about um, some elements of language, you know, of trying to go back to kind of school, trying to teach my son little bits and pieces for his preschool. And there are things that I kind of thought, I oh, yeah, actually, yeah, I remember that now. You know, things that kind of, it's kind of brought my education up a, a notch or two. And I guess also in terms of uh, talking through feelings, talking through why, we don't do that. You know, the questions you get asked as a parent, I find sometimes that kind of opens your mind as well to things you maybe don't think about. You just take them as a given. So yeah. uh, so that's that's pretty interesting. So I suppose there are some uh, pros and cons, aren't there, of uh, of some of these challenges that we face as parents. um on the one hand, they're quite stressful and maybe on top of a lot of other stresses that we have in our lives, but then equally, um, you know, maybe some kind of learnings for us too.
1: Yeah. Well, we learn all the time, don't we? And 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 as you were saying, in terms of the language, we we you certainly learn from from children, both from you know some of those amazing questions you, that are asked from the perspective of a of a three-year-old that as an adult we you know we wouldn't you know we wouldn't think about that Mm. so it's it's a huge learning it's a huge learning opportunity and and as your child grows you you grow with them I think you know in 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 many ways and you know some things don't grow I mean certainly my math skills At you know when my children were primary school age I have to say they have not improved at all (laughs) since <laughs> my primary school days but but other things you know as a child gets interested in a, in a particular thing or a particular hobby you know mm. you you learn along that so So, so it's it's a voyage of of discovery. I I think for me, it's about we can talk about responsive care. But as a parent, you just you know, it's that responsiveness, it's that it's that positive, it's that attunement, um, which is which is so important. And and that actually there's a kind of biological basis to, to why that's so important. That that a child's brain will grow in response to, to how well attuned, um, the caregivers around them are.
0: Right.
1: Um, you know, so there's a lot of pressure really, there, isn't
0: there on, on caregivers, I guess.
1: Yes, yes, a little, yes, yes and no, yes and no. And that goes back to the perfect parent, doesn't mm. it? But if you're having a bad day, that doesn't mean that your child, you know, brain development will be, but, but it's, it's certainly, um, it's certainly a way of 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 supporting parents to mm. to consider things they might not have considered. You know, for instance, with with babies, if you've if you've had if you've become a a parent and you've got no experience of babies, and again, if you haven't got family around you and possibly you're feeling a little bit isolated, if someone's able to talk to you about you know every time your baby smiles at you, and you respond to it you're you're actually you know that's such an amazing positive gift that you're giving to your baby you know that 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 baby is trying really hard to connect with you and how lovely you know how lovely is that watch how you know watch how your baby is is as you stand up and walk to the other side of the room is is looking for you you know she's trying to make she's keeping that connection with you so it's it's bringing out the positive not pulling out the negative if if you do this then this will happen in a negative way it's Mm. like every time you do this every time you have that conversation with a six-month-old baby you're telling them what you're doing or you know you're just chatting to them no they don't understand the words but they're absolutely attuned to your voice to the fact that you're connecting with them so Mm. it's it's I think if you can really focus on the positive and the joy then then you're not putting pressure on parents.
0: That makes sense. And I guess I guess then in in that scenario you're talking to your your young child and and then that's building um kind of in in their mind that's building the behavior, isn't it? That's building up the the norm of talking about their days or how they're feeling and things like that. So um, that does make a lot of sense, and and that's a really really lovely way of looking at it, I think, as well. So that it's it's all very positive and and uh, kind of aspirational, I suppose, rather than the you know kind of feeling that this is something you must do or or you know that uh, that you're you know because the worst I think one of the worst worries that I have is I do something and then I think ah my son just saw me do that or heard <laughs> me say that or you know, and I think oh no. You know, what, where's that, how's that going to come out in later life in him? But um, not that I do a lot of, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but you know, I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? It's kind of self-censorship, being careful that you don't uh, kind of cause any uh, any grief for your, your child.
1: And, and also that when you do, you know, for instance, when you, when you stub your toe and you do swear, um, for instance, as a, a sort of innocent example of... <sighs> us as human beings not not being perfect Mm. you know if if you then if you're then able to say to your child or your children look at me I've just done what I always say that you know we shouldn't do and you know I apologize for that and no one's perfect so so again it's it's if you you know if you lose your temper if um you know if it's just one minute too much that your child can't find their shoes and mm. you're you know you're desperate to get out the door you're really stressed and you shout out and again you know that's okay we're we're all going to have moments where you know we we don't do it the way but actually if you can say gosh I'm really sorry I shouldn't I I you know I I shouldn't have raised my voice because you know raising your voice like that is is not really helpful but I just I I was just feeling very tired this morning and I know that we're going to be five minutes late for assembly or you know what have you so again it's it's that it's that conversation isn't it it's it's And and also, you're informing children that that there's no expectation for anyone ever to be perfect at all times. Yeah, time,
0: yeah, absolutely. 24/7. talking about children and obviously a lot of our listeners will be parents themselves and will understand this and I'm sure that as this is for for me this will be very soothing for them and and, you know give them some kind of interesting things to think about to help them with their their lives and their work lives but for those people that maybe don't have children or maybe are struggling with relationships within their workplace or or other relationships around them are there things that we can take from what you're saying do you think in terms of how we engage with people
1: it's all about Healthy relationships, isn't it really? And and connections, and empathy, and you know, listening. Listening skills are, are so important in in our lives, in in mm. every aspect of it, from you know the work to our friends. Being non judgmental, not not wanting to jump in with you know, it, it's always easy to look at other people's problems, isn't it, and think oh you should do that or you should do this but actually that's not that's not what somebody needs somebody just needs to be able to say to you this is happening at the moment this is what I'm feeling this is what I'm thinking and and you give them a space to to consider all those emotions and feelings Mm -hmm. Um, and you know you you can put in sort of open-ended questions like well what would happen if or and and you you support people to, to to come up with with their own solutions so so yeah I th- I think I think in all of this it, it is communi- it, it is about communication and in, infant mental health at its most basic is early communication it's mm. early connection between a child and its caregiver and I think in our relationships both personal and and work I, I think that the the more listening skills that we have and empathy and, and ability to really hear what people are saying and needing mm. it's not always possible and we'll get it we will get it wrong sometimes
0: and I suppose it's it's for all of us to really kind of think about how we are maybe engaging with those around us whether that's our children or our partners or our colleagues or whoever I mean I, I think back to uh, I think it's been attributed to Albert Einstein but it, it might be one of these kind of myths but someone said at some point that the kind of craziness or insanity is doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. And I suppose if we are in relationships that are maybe difficult relationships with colleagues in the charity sector or with whoever, that kind of thinking about taking a step back and thinking about how we are um, helping to keep those negative relationships going and and ways that we can maybe uh, find alternate solutions to, to dealing with people
1: and shared experience is is very important isn't it and it's mm. it you know peer support ac- across i think the whole voluntary community sector there's there's a lot more sort of peer support type models out there and it it is it is about being able to talk about things that that someone else has experienced but mm. but also really importantly it's not just because you've experienced something that you will understand exactly how the other person has experienced it because everyone's experience is different. But sure. but you can have a, a, a basic understanding when mm. you've got lived experience of something that will help you create that space if you like to, to to support someone else. But it's not around, oh yeah, I know that because I've been through that. Sure. You know, if, if you sure. start with that that mentality, that doesn't work. So I think that's important, you know, going back to 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 empathy. Mm. And being non-judgmental, and it's difficult to be non-judgmental. You know, we live in a world where there's so much information being thrown at us, and and of course we're all we're all making judgments all the time, from very insignificant ones to to more important ones. But but in terms of personal relationships or or just relationships in in you know your everyday life, mm. you have to be really careful about that. You know, not to let not to let those judgments cloud uh, the, the the experiences of, of others.
0: I, th- I mean, that's that's a really interesting point. I think it resonates with me because um, we've been talking uh, to a few contributors over the past on the podcast, but also on, on other things I'm kind of involved in. This idea of you know society is we we are we seem to be living in a, a time of enhanced culture wars and where there's a, a line drawn in the sand on a lot of different issues and people on either side are just throwing insults at one another. And, and I guess part of the, um, my philosophy regarding the work that we do in the sector, I suppose, generally part of that plan is to try and bridge those gaps and bring people together and the sense of solidarity working to a common cause and things like that. And I suppose really, you know, that's that's the tool to do that is is what you're talking about too, is that ability to understand one another ask questions rather than put forth ideas and um and maybe reflecting back rather than kind of telling them how you've been through the same thing
1: yeah the the volunteer training is is hugely um important and and those those areas are are really looked at you know in in terms of you know listening skills Mm. and um and working in that way that is very empathic. And you know, Home Start volunteers are um invited into people's homes. That that that's a huge honour. Yeah.
0: Um
1: and you know they have to be very aware of that and, and to support in support the family in a way that that suits that particular that particular family and mm. at, at that time with, with whatever particular issues they're they're going through. It, it's not about a volunteer going up, you know, going in with their own agenda and checklist of, of the way they think the family, you know, should be parenting or living, etc., and and that takes a lot of skill from volunteers. Mm. And they need training and, and supervision to to work in that way. Because that's, you know, we, we know that, don't that, that's the way you make positive change, is you walk alongside people. Yeah. You don't push them and you don't pull them. You you walk alongside them and you help them through what whatever it is that that they're going through. And that's not just mm. parenting, that's anything in life, isn't it?
0: It, it really is. How how long would the kind of homestart volunteers work with a family? Is that for a long period of time, or is it just short, kind of sharp?
1: I, I've always I've always really liked in the homestart model that um, there is no real time limit. It, okay. it isn't a short, sharp solution. Mm. I, I can't really give you an average because it, it does, you know, it does really differ. I mean, it mm. might be three months. It might be you know a year and a half
0: sure
1: if you're supporting a family that has a a child with a disability let's say Mm. that family might need quite long-term support and and the volunteer will build up a relationship with that family with the child and the children and actually if the family and the volunteer are happy for that support to continue well home start can do that you know we, Mm. we we don't have to pull out at a particularly given time Unless there's a particular sort of funding project where where there is a time limit, but mm. I really like the idea of non-time limited support um, in this area. You have to be careful that you're not creating because you know you, you don't want to create a need that that yeah. family you know needs that volunteer, but also you know if there's a very good relationship and, and quite a practical aspect to a volunteer's support, then you know that's that's great. It's it's great use of it's great use of a, a volunteer's time and, mm. and a, a huge support to a to a family.
0: Alex Corgier, thank you for contributing to Charity Chat.
1: It was a pleasure. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you.
0: A big thank you to Alex Corgier for sharing her insights and knowledge with us. We communicate every day with those around us, but how often do we consider how our emotions get the better of us? As a parent, I find it much easier to witness the impacts of my emotion on my child than perhaps my colleagues, because my child cannot disguise the effect my communication has on him. Having open and honest relationships with our colleagues seems like the right thing to do in order to ensure efficient collaboration throw in some kindness and emotional sensitivity and I think that this is the recipe for a productive and enjoyable collaboration for all. We live in a time of go 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 and both in our personal lives and work lives this can be very stressful. The line between these two lives has been all the more blurred for many of us uh, by working from home and the pandemic and while I don't necessarily subscribe to the view that we should keep these two lives completely separate it makes sense to me To find time in a day that focuses on finding a slow, calm, if only for 30 minutes or so. I sometimes see the frustrations and life stresses playing out in my child's life in the same way that they play out in my own. For him, the cause may be something simpler, such as not being allowed outside without putting his shoes on or drawing on the table. But this isn't so different from the work restrictions or difficult conversations that we face as adults. Perhaps the only real difference is how aware we are of our response to things and the power that gives us to evolve it. Anyway, there's some food for thought there, perhaps for all of us. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Work for Good, a fundraising platform which helps charities streamline and unlock small business sales fundraising via a supporter-friendly digital commercial participation solution so that small but mighty businesses can fundraise for causes they love and charities can maximise this awesome, sustainable source of income. Uh, I'd also like to thank Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast, Kit Magda Axe for our beautiful website, Check it out at charitychat.org.uk. Forrester Falls, as well for playing throughout the show and for playing us out right now. That's it for me. Keep on doing what you can. Cheerio. Bye-bye.